Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and this is perfect timing because it is the afternoons, and my name is Bill Arnold, so it all fits together. And this is uh, one of my favorite days of the week because on this day, we talk about the red words that are in Scripture, which means they're the words Jesus spoke. And today's going to be fascinating because we're going to be hearing about the red words from an Old Testament scholar. So go figure. This should be a very interesting hour. I always encourage you to... uh, Have your Bible handy and a notebook out always uh, makes for a better listening hour. My guest is Dr. Rebecca Ree, and she's a regular guest on the show. She has uh, quite a resume, but I won't go into it quite yet. But let's just bring her on the show. Rebecca, welcome. Thank you for having me again. It's always nice to have you on, and you always uh, are so prepared. And I would say for this particular hour, I bet you've prepared for four or five weeks. Month. Yeah. Month, yeah. Yeah. So I was right. And yep. I uh, appreciate how serious you take uh, the invitations to come on the show. So let's dive into the, the red words that you're going to discuss. And it's going to be fascinating to hear about it from an Old Testament uh, perspective. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm looking forward to it, too, because um, I get excited about the, the discoveries I make when I'm studying for myself. And the Bible has a way of becoming infectiously interesting (laughs) and life impacting. So um, besides just um, getting into the passage and talking about what the different texts themselves mean, I always want to bring, um, because I'm a literary critic of the Hebrew Bible. I'm not a theologian. I'm not a systematic systematic thinker. I go in there and I mostly look at stories and I do storytelling study. So I'm coming at it from kind of a different angle. And so when I um, give you uh, whatever I've prepared, I also want to be, besides just encouraging you with a message, actually be demonstrating different ways of reading the Bible. How do we get in there? And people often tell me it's difficult for them especially to get into the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament. They find it very dense or very uh, strange, and I don't know how to read this. So I, besides wanting to give you the the content, I want to give you also ways of looking at pathways in to this sometimes um, uh, impenetrable text. Okay. So, so um, one of the ways I've I've talked about you before, I've talked to you before is that some of my most fruitful forays into scripture often begin with me having a problem with what I'm reading. And as I've said before, when we hit these problems, our instinct needs to be to press into the passage rather than to recoil from it. And I've always said, you know, the Bible can take it. We've got to have faith if we're believers in the, in the infallib- infallibility of the Scripture and the beauty of the Scripture, um, in the gift of Scripture. We have to know that the Bible can take, take it. Whatever our questions are, whatever our brutally honest questions are, the Bible can take it and indeed rewards those who, who press in at the point of a problem. So that's one point I've made before, but today I want to demonstrate a different um, point about how we approach scripture. And that is 
that we need to remember that while our Bible is a unified text, it is also a library of different texts that have been collected over millennia. It has stories, it has histories, law, poetry, theology, personal letters, prophecy, and more. Um, And because the Bible has so much on its menu, we can dig around and see if one part of our library can help us interpret another part. And I call this the ringing of the bells. (laughs) If one passage reminds you of another passage, like you hear the bells going off, Mm -hmm. go, go there. Go there. That could be very well be the Holy Spirit talking to you. See what resonances you find and how laying texts alongside each other can, including the text of your own life, your own personal experience, can really enlighten and encourage you like nothing else. Nice. So that's exactly the approach that we're going to take today. We are going to take one New Testament text, which is our red letter text. We're going to lay it next to one Old Testament text. And then we're going to lay those next to a selection from my own life story to see what comes of reading in this, what I call a dialogical way. That means bringing one text into dialogue with another. It's a supremely Jewish way of doing interpretation. You have my curiosity at peak right now. (laughs) So um, our New Testament red letter text today um, comes from John and... um, Let me just read it. It's two little verses. So Jesus was therefore saying to those Jews who had come to believe in him, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And so I really want to focus on, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's definitely one of those, um, we often quote that, we often hang on to that like a lifeline. Um, but that's not something that's been problematic for me at times, so let's, let's dig in a little deeper there. So in this chapter, before the truth shall make you free pronouncement that we just heard, Jesus has had two encounters with truth hitting its hearers in a positive manner. So first he tells a woman about to be stoned for adultery, that he does not condemn her for her sins. And then second, he tells some fellow Jews who are hungrily taking in his teaching that the God that they've been worshiping is his heavenly father and by extension, their heavenly father too. And if you ask me how for some words to describe the forgiven woman and the new Jewish believers in Jesus, I'd say relieved, enlightened, encouraged, guided, liberated, freed by the truth in a feel-good kind of way, feel-good kind of way. And that got me thinking about my own life because some of the most important truths in my life that I have embraced have not been feel-good truths at all. In fact, I would say they've been just the opposite. Some of the truths Jesus has shown me have been terrifying, heart-splitting, and totally overwhelming and not just in an instant, but for the long term. Mm. So I'll give you an example of that. One of the latest examples was accepting the truth of my son's autism diagnosis. The day that the developmental psychologist who was testing him said that he was on the spectrum, my husband and I were like, 
utterly devastated. It was like a hole opened up in the ground and swallowed up all of our hopes and dreams for him and left so much fear and heartbreak in their place. Um, So that's an example of truth that was not really, not feel good truth. It was feel bad truth. Uh, and, but that's a whole other story in itself, and maybe one day we'll, we'll come back and talk about it. But for today's teaching, I would like to focus on another feel-bad moment of truth that came for me um, long before marriage and motherhood. And as I've shared on my blog um, before, my childhood was quite traumatic because my late father was mentally ill and very abusive, um, both verbally and physically. And if I were to guess, I would say that he had a severe undiagnosed mood disorder and was also suffering from the wounds of his own traumatic past growing up in China Mm -hmm. during a politically volatile time in China. And Rebecca, just for context, add in to this discussion what your dad did for his uh, livelihood and what his calling was. So I'm just about to say that. Oh, well, here I am. I'm, I'm jumping on, jumping on. <laughs> Sorry. I'm, I'm speaking to Dr. Rebecca Ree, and we are in our Red Word series, and we're in uh, John chapter 8, 32, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. I just, If you just joined us, we're glad, you, uh, glad you're here. So um, as, a, as an adult, my dad coped with, um, you know, the, this his undiagnosed mood disorder and his own PTSD by really immersing himself in religion. I mean, he was what I would call a zealot. And that meant that our family spent an awful lot of time in our local church where he let, where he held various leadership positions. And as a very young child, my perception of family life were very, were mostly positive. You know, we were living in Puerto Rico at the time where my dad was a business executive and he was good at his job and he liked it. And he was not yet exhibiting the manic, Um, rampages that would come later as his mental condition deteriorated. Um, The trouble really began after my two older sisters graduated from high school and they went off to the States for college. And rather than have me finish my last two years of high school in Puerto Rico, my father decided to quit being an executive and become a missionary pastor instead. And so he moved us to a Chinese church in the Dominican Republic that was looking for a pastor And that was where the abusive behavior really got out of control. And now my mom and I were the only targets in the house for it. Um, And for some reason, my father really fixated on the idea that I was a terrible sinner. And it became his mission to really punish me for it in ways both big and small. And more than once, he told me that I was evil and that he outright hated me. This was the sort of emotional environment that I was growing up in. So what about the liberating truth we've been talking about? Like, when did Jesus pull back the curtain in my youth to show me the truth that would set me free? Because I was receiving a lot of untruth from a very authoritative figure in my life. Um, That revelation from Jesus came at Yale University, where I ended up going to college. And I became deeply involved in a campus ministry there that did a wonderful job of feeding the students scripture while also providing lots of fun and fellowship. I mean, we're college kids after all, right? (laughs) The fun and the fellowship. And it was at one of their campus meetings that I heard something that shook me to the core. 
Um, the speaker said that our perceptions of our Heavenly Father were largely based upon our experience with our earthly fathers. And obvious as that is, I had never heard or thought of such a thing before. Um, but as those words fell upon my ears, I immediately grasped that they were true. Like all of a sudden I knew that although my head knew a lot about God, my heart, which was sliced to ribbons by my dad, didn't know the first thing about him. And that, in fact, I had serious trust issues when it came to God the Father, and that in my current state, I could never allow him close enough to really heal me. And this was not feel-good news. This was not a feel-good revelation to have about myself. So I was broken. I was really broken, perhaps beyond repair. And this knowledge quite literally hurt like hell. Mm. Rebecca, let me uh, take our first break. Uh, We're in our Red Word series. So these are the words of Jesus, and they come out of uh, John chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Dr. Rebecca Rhea is our guest. After a short break, we'll be right back. How do we do it here at Faith Radio? Uh, Well, we don't, not without you and not without the Lord, but we are so grateful for your giving. And if you want to make a year-end gift, we'd love to hear from you. You can do that at MyFaithRadio.com. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold, Faith, Hope, and Clarity, in a special repeat performance. Welcome to the show. If you just join me, Dr. Rebecca Ree is our guest. We're in our Red Word series, Living and Active, because that's what Scripture is. And we are talking about uh, the words of Jesus in John chapter 8, particularly in verse 32, where it says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And Rebecca, um, so far it's just been a a riveting uh, interview so far. So please continue. So, okay, so I was talking about how um, I was realizing in college um, how in my heart, Heavenly Father meant Earthly Father, that I didn't know how to distinguish those two things. Um, And what I discovered was as I was uh, surrounded by this new loving spiritual family, which consisted of this campus ministry as well as a local church, Um, My psyche decided that it was safe enough to start letting the trauma of my past come up through the floorboards. Um, To say that it was an inconvenience (laughs) is kind of an understatement, but that's often how it happens when our our psyche decides, oh, it's safe enough for you to start looking at some of these things. They start coming up through the floorboards, and that's what happened. So I started having panic attacks. I was struggling with severe anxiety and depression. And I can tell you, I remember a specific day when I was sitting on the beautiful quadrangle of the Yale campus, and I literally felt my mind, like, split open. That's what it felt like. It just, I felt this fissure in my brain, and I just knew that there was something terribly wrong. Um, 
So for the first time, I sought professional help um, alongside the help of the campus ministers and my church pastors. And I started to open up about what had been happening behind closed doors. As my father played the holy pastor in one context and the whole um, holy pastor in one context and holy terror in another. Mm. Um, and how would I ever be set free from my emotional and spiritual affliction? You know, what came next after this acknowledgement that I had made? So let's put it, this is awkward, but let's put a bookmark in this chapter of my life and now go to the third text that we're going to use, which is an Old Testament scripture. And it's going to shed some light on how Jesus led me to freedom after I made this acknowledgement that I didn't know the Heavenly Father. And the Old Testament scripture comes from 2 Kings 6, 1 through 7. And I'll just read it to you. Now the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See, the place where we dwell under your charge is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan, and each of us get there a log, and let us make a place for us to dwell there. And he answered, go. Then one of them said, be pleased to go with your servants. And he said, I will go. So he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was felling a log, his axe head fell into the water, and he cried out, alas, my master, it was borrowed. Then the man of God said, where did it fall? When he showed him the place, he cut off a stick and threw it in there and made the iron float. Hmm. And he said, take it up. So he reached out his hand and took it. Now, this strange little story is a prime example of me hearing the bells ringing. Uh, One scripture reminding me of, of another. And when I started to examine it carefully, I realized why. In these seven little verses, we have a confession of truth that leads to two feel-good, setting-free results. So what is the confession? Um, Elisha and a group of his protégés are living together, and the conditions get a little crowded. So one of them proposes a plan and says, let's go down to Jordan, cut down some trees, and expand our living quarters. And Elisha not only agrees to the plan, but to the request that he accompany the men on their mission. And this latter point is going to prove really significant, but we'll touch on that later. Um, As one of the prophets is cutting down a tree, his axe head flies off his tool, and he he cries out, alas, my master, for it was borrowed. So here we have a confession, and it's specifically one of loss. And maybe right now, if you were to cry out, your confession of truth would be one of loss as well, like maybe a loss of innocence, loss of hope, loss of resources. Loss of hair. Why did I say that? That's irrecoverable, So disruptive. Too. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but, you know, a confessional boss. So here's what happens next in verse 6. The man of God says, where did it fall? And when the protege cut, shows him, he cuts off a stick, throws it in the water, and makes the iron float. Now, when I read this text in the Hebrew, I immediately noticed that, there, that these seven, in these seven verses, Elisha is identified by a proper modifier only twice. The first time he is called by his, his name at the opening of the story when the prophets say, you know, let's, let's go build this thing. But the second and last proper modifier is here when he is called man of God right before performing a miracle. And I think that's no accident. I think the storyteller is preparing us to expect 
something extraordinary to happen. And it does in two ways. So first, the power of God is immediately released. Iron doesn't float, but Elisha, the man of God, draws it up from the depths anyway. Mm. And I want us to note exactly how the release of power happens. Because after the protege cries out, alas, I've lost something irrecoverable. The man of God says, where did it fall? And then once the axe head floats to the surface, he says, take it up for yourself. So yes, Elisha cuts down a stick and throws it in the water. But it's really the protege that does all the work. He's the one to lead Elisha to the place of loss. And then it is he again who ventures into the water and fishes the axe head out by hand. And what does this tell me? That maybe one of the reasons why some truths feel so bad at first seems so far from anything good being drawn up from the depths to which you've sunk is because God is preparing you to participate and to mediate the miracle that is going to save you. Wow. God is not going to leave you a passive, helpless victim. Healing power will work through you and not just to you. Now, that's really good news. <laughs> that is the best news. And I just, I'm just chewing on that slowly because it's so good. My guest is Dr. Rebecca Ree, and she's a regular guest on the show. And that the release of power from your encounter with truth is going to transform you in a significant way. Mm-hmm. So store that in your back pocket as the first way a feel-bad truth becomes a feel-good truth. Done. Okay. Then let me say that I recognize that sometimes it takes a lot of time to become an overcomer of your loss and pain. And often I have asked in the midst of my agony, like, why? Why does my healing, my transformation by truth have to be so prolonged and painstaking? And I'm going to draw from my personal experience alongside the scripture to answer that. So first, as he cries out, Elisha commands his protege to show him the place where it all went wrong. And to me, Elisha is setting the scene. He's preparing the stage that whatever God is going to do is going to be done precisely at the point pain comes. Mm. Now, this to me is a foreshadowing of how Jesus was going to heal in the gospel. You know, sure, we have that one story of Jesus healing the Roman centurion servant instantly and from afar. But even Jesus says that that's the exception and not the rule, right? Mm -hmm. Mostly, Jesus went to people. He went directly to the places where he was needed the most. Um, A prime example of this is when his dear friend Lazarus dies. The first request Jesus makes when he finally arrives at Mary and Martha's home is to be taken to the point of pain. Let's listen to these verses from John. You know what, Rebecca? As much as I want to hear these verses, I'm up against the the hard break, which means we have to go. But I know when we come back, we'll pick it up with these verses because I I have a pen out and I want to write these verses down. So um, we are in our Red Word series uh, living and active, these words of Jesus in your New Testament or anywhere where there's red words in Scripture, those are words right out of the mouth of Jesus. And my guest is Dr. Rebecca Ree, who's a Hebrew scholar. So we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back with lots more.
You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Welcome to the show. If you just join me, we are talking to Dr. Rebecca Ree, and we're in our Red Word series, so Words of Jesus. And it's interesting to talk about John chapter 8, verse 32, with an Old Testament scholar. So, uh, Rebecca, I want you to hit rewind to about 15 seconds before we went to break and say what you said and then give me those verses. Okay. So we were talking about Jesus's habit of going directly to the places that he's needed the most and really zeroing in on the point where things went wrong. Um, And so when his dear friend Lazarus dies, the first request Jesus makes when he arrives at Mary and Martha's home is to be taken to the point of pain. So listen to these verses from John. They come from John 11, 34 and 35. And Jesus said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So after sharing this sharing of pain, Jesus then got down to the business of performing arguably one of his greatest miracles ever, transforming Lazarus from a corpse to a living, breathing human being. But he had to be taken to the point of pain. He had to be taken to that place where they had laid him. Um, And in my life, it has taken time. Because the background question to this little discussion here is, why does it have to take so much time? Why does it have to be so painstaking? In my life, it has taken some time to bring Jesus to the precise places where all was lost, where it all went wrong. Sometimes it was because the pain was so intense at those grave sites that I was not yet strong enough to face it. Sometimes it was because I couldn't remember it all exactly and had to put the pieces together like a jigsaw puzzle. And this can be especially true if you're someone who was traumatized as a child, and so you can only remember things as a child remembers them. And another important reason was that I was working with counselors and ministers, and all of our schedules needed to be coordinated for healing sessions. You know, it takes a village, right? Mm -hmm. Um, God was moving pieces on the chessboard to achieve maximum benefit for me through the right agents, through the right Elishas for me. So that's one tre- one treasure that we gain from Jesus using the truth set to, to set us free is by visiting and revisiting the site of pain so that he can heal it bit by bit as we can best handle it. So let's turn to the second way Jesus uses a feel-bad truth to set us free. And I'm going to state it as a general principle of healing. Okay? So besides having a heart open to going the distance over time, we have to have open hands that handle our miracles appropriately. So open hands that handle our miracles appropriately. Now, what do I mean by that? So let's return to the text. When the axe head falls off, Elijah's protege cries out, Alas, my master, it was borrowed. And the word there is sha'al. It literally means ask. So he's saying, Alas, my master, the axe head was asked. 
I asked for it from someone. And essentially, Elijah's protege is saying that his loss is especially acute because it involves something precious, precious because it does not fully belong to him. He's simply been allowed to use it for a time to accomplish the very important task of building a better place to live in. And one of the things that I've learned on my road to healing via the truth of my father wounds is that I have not been alone in my suffering. Um, Over the years, I've come into contact with people whose image of God is just as severely damaged and perhaps even more than mine. And slowly, I am beginning to understand that any healing God does in me ultimately does not belong to me alone, but also to those who might be impacted by my story. People who need to recover something precious that's been lost to them, who need a better place to live out their lives than the cramped and bitter space that they currently inhabit. And as God has slowly given me the discernment and the courage and the wherewithal that I need to share my stories with others, um, I've learned that I can depend on one thing every time I tell the truth that sets hearts free. And that one thing is this, that the slow painstaking work God has done in me has been of the highest quality, that the pain that has eviscerated me has produced healing that is permanent. You know, believe me, when God signs off on a miracle, whether it's a long-term miracle or a short-term miracle, it's going to hold. When you reach out your hand in the water, that axe head is going to be there without fail, and it will be as precious and useful to others as it has been to you. So what a privilege it is to say to a fellow long-term sufferer of a feel-bad truth, trust in Jesus. Lead him to your gravesite, to those watery depths where you lost something precious. It will all be worth it, I promise. Look at how I came back to life. You can too. Wow. So, um can I like conclude this like little New Testament, Old Testament, personal testimony, dialogical teaching, that's a mouthful, with some practical wisdom? I, I insist you do, because okay. there is uh, room for it, and we have lots of time. Yep, okay. So um, there's basically three things I want to say. First, don't try to handle a feel-bad truth on your own. You know, as he did when he tempted Jesus alone in the desert, our enemy, the devil, has a way of turning truth against us so that we are either flat out destroyed or severely compromised in how we live out our calling in this life. Um, More and more, I believe God works through people. And if the wounds you carry happen through people or through a person, it will take other God-appointed people to help liberate you with truth. I'm going to... I'm going to ask you to repeat that because I'm trying to write as fast as I can and I didn't get it all. Sure. And I have a feeling I'm not alone right now. Okay. So don't try to handle a feel bad truth on your own. I got that. Because yeah, because the enemy has a way of turning truth against us and we don't want to go head to head with him alone. Right. Because he will use that truth to destroy us. What we need to do is reach out to others because God works through people. And what I have found is um, 
Like in my case, I had terrible father wounds. So God used other, you know, in my process of healing, God brought me other fathers to demonstrate what his uh, healing was like, what what his what his, what his being a heavenly father was like. And I think that was powerful because there were actual relationships that I gained in my life with other fathers. Um, and it ended up, it's, it's ironic because I had sworn up and down, I would never marry an Asian man and um, have another Asian father-in-law in my life. And of course I dated one who's now my husband, but he's from Detroit and it took me a whole month to figure out that he was Asian. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and I was like, Oh no, I'm breaking my rule. Um, but I have a wonderful, wonderful Asian father-in-law who um, has just demonstrated again and again what that love looks like, what that heavenly father love looks like. So in the end, God gave me. So I'm just saying that reversal of the wound will often happen through a person if it came to you through a person, and you should expect that. So, um, that's why you need to invite others. Yeah. So is that a method, do you think, that when you have a, a wound like from a father, God's instruction will be to be around other fathers and try to work through the pain. I mean, I know people who have a fear of the dark, they sometimes have to get comfortable going into a dark room to help them overcome the fear of it. Right. I think what we have to do is um, go, go slowly with this because initially you might not be ready to be around other fathers. I was so PTSD from having my father that if I was even in the same room with an Asian man, the, the age of my dad, I would just start freaking out. Hmm. So you're, you know, so you may not be ready for that father or for that person yet, but you, you are, God's going to bring somebody you are ready to who will befriend you or, and help you. Um, and, you know, that's in the form of professional counseling. That's in the form of friends in the body of Christ. Um, my two pastors, the husband and wife team that helped me, they were safe people. So I would say you open yourself up to the safe people that God is bringing you. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually he'll, he'll show you, you know, who, who qualifies as safe. Mm-hmm. Um, Rebecca, if you're at the beginning of this journey where you've already lived the past and you've got this trauma and you're at the beginning of the journey of wanting to do things differently, I would imagine that could be very daunting. It is very daunting, which is why you have to, um, well, that's number two. Okay. My, my one number two point is go gently with yourself. Yeah, here I am jumping in again. Yeah, well, it's good because, you know, you're emphasizing the point. Go gently with yourself as you surrender to your process of healing. Mm-hmm. And when I say surrender to your process, I was, you know, very early in my 20s. I was, like, new to the United States. I traveled extensively. I was having culture shocks. I never lived in New England, never seen snow before. I was, like, you know, had my head spinning in a lot of ways. And yet God had planned a very... um meticulous path for me to walk out, you know, take this baby step here. Then this is the next baby step. He was a light into my feet, but you know, just all I had to do was keep following him as a little sheep, one step after the other, and he would lead me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say, you know, you surrender to that process and go gently um, and just trust that he does have it all planned out for you. Just like my husband and I um, pursue therapy and healing for our son. There's this whole process. It's not up to him to decide what those interventions are. It's up to us, and it's up to what God provides us to provide him. So um, don't be surprised if it hurts or goes slow. And don't condemn yourself for feeling, you know, anguish and affliction. Mm -hmm. 
I always kind of visualize God is carving your heart into a precious diamond. And it's painstaking work, but I want to say again, it's permanent work. That diamond is not going to re, re, um, revert back to coal. Once it's carved by God into a diamond, it's a diamond. Yeah. That's, and you're going to rejoice at those results. That's so comforting. Yes. So good. Uh, and number three, um, expect God to tap you on the shoulder at some point about sharing your story. I mean, you don't have to be fully healed to have something valuable to say. And I'm a primo example of this. I've got all kinds of things with me that I could go on and on and on about. But you have more wisdom and encouragement to offer than you realize just by being who you are and bearing witness. Um, But I would say share wisely and with with much prayer so that you stay safe even as you become vulnerable with others. You don't want to run ahead with God. You don't want to grab a microphone and start like proclaiming your business to everybody. Maybe start with, you know, a trusted person in the body of Christ. Maybe start with a, a counselor um, who, you know, isn't going to be bowled over by what you say. Um, you just need to be wise about sharing. Um, but you will, God, God is going to tap you on the shoulder at some point to share in different contexts, whether it's sharing with a healer or sharing with others who could use that, the healing that comes through your story. Or sharing on faith radio. Or sharing on faith radio. Yeah. The Apostle Apostle Paul put it this way in Ephesians 2.10. He said, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before and so that we could walk in them. Mm -hmm. And those good works are for others, but they're for us as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Let me take a break. Dr. Rebecca Rhee is our guest this hour. We're talking about the Red Words. That's our series that we started a while back, and we are looking at John chapter 8, verse 32. And then when we come back, I got some questions for Rebecca. And you can learn, uh, you can learn more about Rebecca at her website, which is RebeccaRhee.net, R-E-B-E-C-C-A-R-H. Ee.net. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Join us for our Reading the Bible Together Advent Study. Sign up at MyFaithRadio.com. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, Hope, and Clarity in a special repeat performance. Welcome back to the show. Dr. Rebecca Ree is my guest. She did her undergrad at Yale, went to Yale Divinity School, then earned her master's degree, and then her Ph.D. in religion and literature from Boston University. So she paid attention in school. Always glad to have her back on the show. We are in our Red Word series, so words that Jesus spoke. And we are in John chapter 8, looking at verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Um, so, so far, Rebecca, this has really been amazing. I, I love uh, your personal story that you've woven through this. It really has given us a lot to hold on to as we contemplate this verse and, and this passage. 
Well, again, you know, the, the third text usually when you have a couple, if you're bringing a couple of biblical texts together, the third text is always your own life. And if the beginning point is a stumbling block, like you're, you're pressing into a text because you're having a problem, you're usually having a problem because of something that happened to you in your life. So that's a text you always need to bring alongside the scripture, too. So let's I'm going to go back to something you said, because I found this really interesting. Yep. And you said, don't try to handle a bad truth on your own, turning truth against us because the enemy will use truth to destroy us. Yep. That That's a fascinating statement. I would love to hear more about that because I don't know how the truth would ever destroy us. Um, I think when you're in a place where, like I told you before, when my psyche decided it was um, it was safe enough to basically have a nervous breakdown. <laughs> okay. And you're you're kind of in pieces on the floor. That's when the enemy will come in and say, I mean, I remember hearing his voice one time very clearly saying, oh, you're not well. You're not well at all. Like in this way that was just almost prophesying doom, like you're you're never going to recover. This is serious. And in and a, and a sense, that is true. It was really, really serious. Sitting on the quadrangle of your campus and feeling your brain split open is serious. Um, and having to pursue help was serious, but it totally discounted the fact that God had, you know, I, like we use the image of the chest, trust chess board. God had all his moves planned out. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I, I think that again, the enemy, he wants to keep us isolated and he wants to keep us focused on the size of our problems and for, forgetting that, you know, God isn't asking us to tackle on the whole thing. He's asking us, you know, each day has enough trouble of its own. Today, I'm just asking you to maybe pick up the phone and call one friend and say, I'm having a hard time. Can you pray for me? You know, um, God in my life has always broken things down into bite-sized pieces, into manageable pieces. Um, That's how he works. And I think the enemy, one of his favorite strategies is to overwhelm us when we are feeling vulnerable. Mm. So interesting. So you make a point about being gentle. We need to be gentle. And then don't be surprised if it hurts or if it goes slowly. What about the people that come alongside us that want to be there for us and they may not have the gift of patience? They might want to try (laughs) to fix you. And say, snap to it. Let's get going here. Yep. And they're well-intentioned, but mm, this is not a good fit for me right now. Right, yeah. And sometimes we're, we're I, I hate to say it, but sometimes we're guilty of being that person, right? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I remember when I was in college, I had, so the, the fellowship that I was involved in, we used to have prayer um, from 12 to 1230 every day. We, there was this little chapel, and we would meet, and we would pray every day. It was a wonderful little thing. And um, sometimes I would share, and I was usually a mess. And um, one of the people that came regularly to the meetings wrote me a note and said, you know, you just need to take joy. And I remember that, you know, the words had been capitalized in the handwritten note. Sure. I was like, take joy. Like, and, you know, I think I understood she was feeling really bad for me, and she wanted me to feel better. And I think she probably wanted herself to feel better, too, about my situation. Mm-hmm. 
But um, I think we have to understand as we mature in our own process of healing that you can never really know how something is impacting another person fully. You know what I mean? You can Mm -hmm. know what it looks like on the outside, but you can never really know the depth of their pain. And Jesus always respects the depth of people's pain. I mean, that, you know, when he gets brought to um, Lazarus's tombstone, he doesn't criticize everybody. Like, you guys snap out of it. I'm just, I'm about to make this better. Yeah. Snap out of Mm -hmm. it. It's the one place we have where it says Jesus wept. Mm -hmm. And so if he comes alongside and weeps for the pain that they've been in, and the, and the loss that they have suffered, who are we to tell somebody to, you know, snap out of it? Yeah. And I think I, sometimes our pressure, not sometimes we don't so much say snap out of it, but we want to say something helpful. And I would say, again, sometimes the most helpful thing you can do is just sit with someone and listen. You know, we don't want to be like Job's friends who are quick to, like, give huge sermons on why, you know, this person has landed in the place that they have. You know, um, had I known it then, I was—I didn't, you know, know it at the time. I wasn't ready to know it at the time, but I needed some serious psychiatric intervention to be okay, to mm-hmm. like be healed of the trauma that I had suffered. It was serious trauma. So, you know, if somebody had come not come alongside me and and been patient with me, but really insisted that I heal faster, I think it would have been so done, done so much harm to me because then I would have lost my safe place. Mm-hmm. You always want to remain a safe place to the person God has called you to walk alongside. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. So I, one of the things I, I will say to myself is, Bill, be, comfor- be comfortable with someone else's discomfort. Yes. Because if I can do that, then I think I can hang in there a little bit better. Because our instinct is always to pull out a verse we think will be comforting or share a personal story which might help identify with their pain. And sometimes you need to show up and shut up. That's true. And also, without um, breaking any confidences, you can also seek um, prayer for yourself as the helper and go and say, you know, I'm ministering to this person. It's difficult. I think God wants to remain, me to remain by their side. But um, I need to be cut free. From, you know, the trauma, because there can be secondary trauma as mm-hmm. you listen to somebody's primary trauma. And you don't need to get into their stuff, but you can say, can you pray for me? Can you pray for me that I'm going to be okay? I mean, I think more pastors would be doing so much better if they had their own personal people that they could go to and, like, get prayed up, you know, and get stitched up when they've been out there, healing, you know, dealing with their congregants. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and if someone's, um, insistently by you telling you to snap out of it, I would say that's not your person. You need to move on to another person. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you're feeling unsafe around a person, I one time had somebody define, um, you know, anger usually comes when someone's crossed a boundary with you. Um, and so in this case, you might not feel so much. You might feel anger, but there's usually some kind of information your body, your system is trying to give you when you feel that that red red flag go up and you feel like whatever they're telling you isn't hitting you the right way. Listen to that. That's information. God has given you a system that has its own alert system, and it's trying to tell you something. Mm-hmm. So you need to seek other people. Yeah. Rebecca, I so appreciate your vulnerability sharing your story with your dad. And I have a feeling people are interested in knowing 
how that relationship sort of concluded or ended or I know he's he's uh, passed on, but how did you uh, work that out the remaining years of life? Well, what ended up happening was um, through all the therapy and the, and the intervention that I was going through, I really had to just, because there was no um, admission on his side of any wrongdoing whatsoever, mm-hmm. um, I finally had to realize he was not a safe person for me, uh, was not going to be a safe person for me, like, ever, <laughs> until some kind of acknowledgement happened. And this can be hard because I, I basically decided I can't be in any contact with him because I've worked so hard on my healing and I can't risk um, damaging that healing. It's almost like getting surgery and then running out and doing something that would like pull all the stitches out and mm-hmm. like, you know, reverse whatever this physician did. Mm-hmm. So what I did was this, which was so helpful. I think somebody gave this, this uh, paradigm to me. What I said to God was I said, you know, do I wish something were, do I wish it were different? Yes. Do I wish I could have contact with them? Of course. But what I'm going to do is this, Lord, um, I'm going to break off contact now. I'm not going to have any telephone calls, letters, anything with this man because he's not safe for me. And I have to protect the healing you have accomplished in me. But I promise, I promise, I promise that if you ever want me to change that boundary, Call me back to the drawing board, and I will come. Mm. That's a I'm, thank you for that sharing that at, at the end of our time together. I wish we had more time because I I would still ask more questions. But as always, you've given us tremendous content. Thank you so much for being on the Redwood series, and and I pray for you, the rest of your day and the rest of your week. Rebecca Ree has been my guest. Thank you again, Rebecca. Thank you for having me. You bet. That's all the time we have. Have a great night, everyone. See you tomorrow. Podcasts like mine are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now.